Uh, well, good morning, Church, church at Nine. Uh, wonderful to see you. Um, I hope that uh, video was uh, helpful. Uh, I think sometimes it's it, it, it's good to see um, uh, things that we've been reading in pictures as well, just to uh, help us to get a grasp of, uh, of, of what's being said in the Bible. Um, but uh, today we're going to have a look at uh, the tabernacle. And uh, as Krish mentioned, um, it, its significance uh, in the Bible and for our lives. Um, and so uh, why don't we uh, pray together? I'm going to lead us in prayer and then uh, we'll have a look at this, this passage together today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much that uh, we can meet together um, online this morning. Uh, thank you that we can meet at the same time uh, to hear your word. Um, and thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And uh, we pray that this morning you would please help us to um, listen to you with humble hearts uh, so that we might know more of you, uh, that we might know more of your character, uh, who you are, uh, what you've done for us. And uh, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would transform us uh, to live lives that are pleasing to you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, friends, I don't know about you, but I reckon the greatest Australian advertisement of all time is the I Still Call Australia Home commercial. Uh, you know, the one I'm talking about. Uh, it's the one where you see the Qantas plane sailing into Sydney Harbour. Uh, you see the homesick traveller looking out of the plane wistfully. Uh, you hear the iconic song with the words, no matter how far, uh, how near or how far I roam, I still call Australia home. It's a wonderful advertisement because it taps into uh, this deep longing that each of us have for home. Uh, why is home so good? Well, it's good because home is a place of peace and good relationships, isn't it, when it's working well? Uh, home is a place of security from harm. Home is a place of rest when you are weary, and there is no place like it. Uh, Tim Chester, in his uh, very excellent commentary on Exodus, very helpfully observes that we are all looking for home in one way or another. Uh, some of us are, are wanderers, a little bit like Krish, who loves adventure and travel and the next new thing. But in wandering around, what we are really looking for is peace and security and rest. We are, we are looking for home. Uh, others of us are nesters who love nights in and home improvements and spending time with the family. But in staying put, what we are really doing is we are trying to build a home. You see, you and I are all looking for that deep peace and security and rest in our souls that only comes from being truly home. Now, is that true? Well, this morning we're going to look at some chapters in Exodus, um, as Krish mentioned, where Moses uh, has, has gone up the mountain and he's been given instructions by God about the building of a structure called the tabernacle, 
as well as all the furniture that is to go into it. Uh, if you have your Bibles there, you can see it there in chapter 25, verse 9 of Exodus. Chapter 25, verse 9, where God tells Moses um, to build the tabernacle uh, through the Israelites. Um, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so shall you make it, it says. Uh, now, for many of us, my guess is that these chapters are the ones that we find easy to ignore because, you know, they, they seem very long and very foreign to us. However, it is also true that the rest of the book of Exodus from this chapter onwards, from chapter 25 all the way to chapter 40, is really all about the tabernacle and the things linked to the tabernacle. Uh, that's about 40% of the whole book of Exodus. Uh, in fact, the majority of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, is really about the tabernacle in one way or another. And so in God's mind, the tabernacle is a very important thing and something uh, well worth listening to very carefully this morning. Uh, what exactly is the tabernacle? Well, it is essentially a tent, which was about... 13.5 metres long and uh, 4.5 metres wide and 4.5 metres high. Uh, the tent itself uh, was divided into rooms, as you can see in the diagram, called the holy place and the most holy place, uh, sometimes called the holy of holies. Uh, with, and those two rooms were separated by a thick veil or curtain. Uh, outside the tabernacle, uh, you had a large courtyard. And in each of these various spaces, there were various items of furniture that needed to be installed. But what is the significance of the tabernacle? Uh, what is it all about? Well, I want to suggest that the ta tabernacle was meant to remind Israel of home. And uh, in particular, it was meant to remind them of home in the Garden of Eden. For you see, in the Bible, the Garden of Eden represents home. Eden was where humanity enjoyed peace and security and real rest, just like home. It was a place of blessing. For if you remember, the tree of life was there. And how was it that they could enjoy such blessing? Well, it was because God himself was dwelling with them in that garden. You see, they were home prim primarily because God was present with them. However, the story of Eden is also a story of tragedy, isn't it? Because if you remember, humanity rebels against the only one who can give them true peace and security and rest. They are then evicted from home and separated from God. You know, the human experience is one of trying desperately to find true peace and true security and true rest in this world, but never really being able to find it because human beings find themselves outside of Eden. Now, have you ever felt like this before in your life? 
Now, you can see that the tabernacle is a reminder of the Garden of Eden in a number of ways. Uh, firstly, you can see it in the materials that are used in the tabernacle, uh, as well as its furniture. Uh, if you turn with me to chapter 25, verse 3, uh, 25, verse 3, you can see there that some precious metals are collected to be used in the building of the tabernacle, uh, including gold. Uh, further, if you come down with me to chapter 25, verse 7, you can see there that some precious jewels are also used in the building of its tabernacles and uh, uh, various items to do with the tabernacle. And you'll see um, that uh, precious stones like onyx is mentioned there as well. Uh, onyx is a black-coloured jewel. But listen to how the Garden of Eden is described in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, it says, a river flowed out of, gar uh, out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stones are there. Now, can you see that the materials used in the building of the tabernacle and its furniture I meant to remind you of, of the Garden of Eden. Secondly, you can see echoes of the Garden of Eden in the furniture that is placed inside the tabernacle. Now, in particular, come with me to chapter 25, verse 32, uh, which describes the golden lampstand that was placed inside the tabernacle. It says, 25, verse 32, And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. Now, what does that remind you of? Well, it's meant to remind us of, of a tree, isn't it? Uh, perhaps a flourishing tree. But not just any tree, but the tree of life that is in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you see, again, I, I think it's meant to be an echo uh, of the Garden of Eden that we are meant to see as we uh, study the tabernacle. Uh, thirdly, you can see that the tabernacle is meant to remind Israel of Eden in the way that the tabernacle is laid out. Uh, if you come over with me a, a few chapters to chapter 27, verse 15, chapter 27, verse 15, uh, you'll see there that God instructs Moses to build uh, a courtyard that surrounds the tabernacle. And God says there in verse 15 of chapter 27, the breadth of the court on the front to the east shall be 50 cubits. In other words, uh, the, the tabernacle had a front section which faced the east, uh, sorry, uh, the front section that faced the west, uh, and the, the back of the, the, the structure faced the east. And uh, if you read further down in the passage, uh, you'll see that on that eastern side of the courtyard, there was to be a gate leading into the courtyard and the tabernacle. 
Now, how does this remind us of Eden? Well, when God tragically evicted humanity from Eden, do you remember that he blocked the entrance back into the Garden of Eden from which direction? Well, it was in the east. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, it says, He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, you see, the way into the Garden of Eden is blocked from the east. But here in the tabernacle, what God is saying to his people is that there is a way back. There is hope of returning to Eden. There is hope of coming home and finding real peace and security and rest and blessing. And the tabernacle is the vehicle through which this blessing can come because ultimately the tabernacle is the place where God has once again chosen to dwell with his people. Uh, I think chapter 25, verse 8, is probably the most important verse uh, in these chapters. Uh, you can see there that God instructs Moses by saying in chapter 25, verse 8, um, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them in their midst. But you see, friends, this is what is so important about the tabernacle. Just as God dwelt with humanity in the Garden of Eden, God promises to dwell with his people, the people of Israel, once again in this tabernacle. And if God is dwelling with you, then there is every hope of peace and security and rest and blessing of being home. Now, of course, uh, this isn't saying that God is limited to, to a tent. Uh, no, the rest of the Bible tells us that God is the transcendent God of heaven and earth who is everywhere. But what this is saying is that God has chosen in a particular way to come down to his people and dwell with them and to be present with them as they journey towards the promised land. Now, uh, if the tabernacle itself is meant to be an echo of the Garden of Eden, what do we make of the various items of furniture that are inside the tabernacle? Uh, it's a little bit strange, isn't it, uh, that in our passage this morning, the furniture is actually described before the tabernacle. You know, if I ask you to describe your house, uh, you wouldn't necessarily begin by de describing your dining table, would you? You would tell me about what is outside of the house, what the, the house looks like from the outside, and only then uh, tell me what is inside the house. But in chapter 25, notice that it is the furniture uh, that is described first before the tabernacle or the, the outer tent is described in chapter 26. It seems that there is something more important about the furniture than the outer structure that, his, that God wants his people to know about. And I want to suggest that it's because the items of furniture uh, are like signposts pointing the people of Israel home to God. Uh, you know, imagine you are on your way home 
uh, after a long and tiring and difficult time away. Uh, perhaps you're coming home after a business trip and you see the sign uh, in front of the, uh, inside the plane that says that Sydney is just an hour away. Or when the plane lands, you get into the taxi and you see the, 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 the sign on the road that says that your suburb is just a few kilometres away. Then as you approach your home, you see the street sign that points you to the street that you live in. Uh, the furniture inside the tabernacle is a bit like these signs that are, that are meant to point the people of Israel home to God. Uh, now you can, see first, uh, you can see this firstly in what is described as the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which was placed in the part of the tabernacle called the Most Holy Place. Uh, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, well, it was essentially a wooden box uh, just over a metre long and just over half a metre wide and half a metre tall, uh, which was covered uh, in, in gold, in pure gold. Uh, inside this box, Moses was instructed to place the testimony, uh, which were the two stone tablets that God would later inscribe with the Ten Commandments. Uh, further, on top of this box, were two cherubim or angelic figures on either end of the box with their faces pointing downwards and their wings pointing towards each other. Uh, why are their faces pointing down? Well, it's because it is on top of the Ark of the Covenant that God promised to meet with Moses and to speak to the people of Israel. It's almost as though the place above the Ark of the Covenant is God's dwelling place, God's throne room, where he reigns over his people. And the cherubim uh, simply cannot look up and gaze into the, the majestic holiness of God himself. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that whilst God promises to meet with Moses and speak with his people uh, from the top of this Ark, uh, we don't find any image or statue there. Uh, that's what the pagan nations around Israel would have done whenever they built a, a structure uh, for their gods. They would have placed an image or a statue or an idol of, of their god. Rather, the only thing that is here in this golden box is the testimony or the word of God. For the God of the Bible is a God who is present with his people and who rules over his people, who reigns over his people through his word. But here's the point. The Ark of the Covenant was a sign that pointed to God's mercy towards his sinful people. The Ark of the Covenant was a sign that pointed to God's mercy to his sinful people. Uh, you can see it there in chapter 25, verse 22. Chapter 25, 22, where it says, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you, that is Moses, about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Notice that the top of the ark of the covenant is described as a mercy seat. Uh, in actual fact, it was just a lid 
that covered the tablets of stone on which were inscribed the Ten Commandments. And so the wonderful thing this is meant to symbolize is God putting a lid, so to speak, on the condemnation that would come to the people of Israel for breaking the Ten Commandments and sinning and rebelling against God, as his people were prone to do. You see, this is a wonderful signpost that says uh, you can now come home to God because he is willing to cover over your sin and to show you mercy. Secondly, you can see that the furniture, also a, a signpost pointing Israel home to God uh, in what you read about the table for bread. Uh, the table for bread was placed in the holy place, which was just outside of the most holy place, um, which is where the Ark of the, the Covenant was located. Now, uh, this table was once again made of wood and covered in pure gold. Uh, it had a number of items placed on top of it, including plates and bowls and so forth. But it seems that the real importance of this table was in the bread that was placed on top of it. Later in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5, we are told that there were 12 loaves of bread placed on top of this table, divided into two piles, which were replaced regularly by the priests. Uh, what does this all mean? Well, bread in the Bible usually symbolizes fellowship, doesn't it? We've already seen in chapter 23, for example, Moses and the priests and the elders of Israel eating and drinking in fellowship with God on top of Mount Sinai after they perform a sacrifice. And so the 12 loaves of bread are meant to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel eating and drinking in God's presence and enjoying fellowship with him. Uh, that's why in uh, chapter 25, verse 30, 25, verse 30, the bread is described there as the bread of the presence. It's about eating and drinking in the presence of God and enjoying wonderful fellowship with him. Now, finally, you can see that the furniture are signposts pointing Israel home to God in the golden lampstand that was also placed in the holy place. Uh, now, this lampstand was made of solid gold, and uh, we've already seen that it was shaped uh, like a tree, reminiscent of the, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. However, beyond that, we're not told too much more about the lampstand other than its function to give light. Uh, in chapter 25, verse 37, verse 37, uh, it says, you shall make seven lamps for the, the lampstand and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Uh, what does light symbolize? Well, uh, it could symbolize God's presence in this case because uh, God is associated with, God's presence is associated with light, isn't it? He's already revealed his presence in a fantastic light display on Mount Sinai back in uh, chapter 19. Uh, prior to that, we've seen God's presence in leading his people in, uh, by a pillar of fire by night, as well as a pillar of cloud by day. 
However, I, I don't think um, the lampstand here symbolizes God's presence necessarily for reasons I'll go into next week. But rather, I think this is an invitation to walk in the light of God's ways. Coming home to God means walking in the light of his ways. Now, friends, uh, we've seen that the furniture in the tabernacle were like signposts pointing to God's mercy and his fellowship and the light of his ways. Now, to be home is to experience God's mercy in your life and to be in fellowship with him and to walk in his light and in his ways. Now, what does all that mean for us? Well, the New Testament teaches us that the tabernacle and all the things inside them were really meant to point us to the person and work of Jesus. For Jesus is really the only way home to God. It is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus that you can have your sin and rebellion against God forgiven so as to experience his mercy. It is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus that you can have fellowship with God as he comes in his spirit to dwell with you in your heart. It is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus that you can be given the power to walk in his light and for real transformation of life to take place. It is only through Jesus that you and I can really truly come home to God. And so, friends, my question to you this morning is, have you come home to God? Have you put your trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus and made him the Lord and King and Master of your life? If you haven't done that yet, then why don't you do it today? For there is no other way home to God than through him. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, friends, if you are listening this morning and you know that you are far away from God, then the invitation of God this morning is to come home to him today. And the way home to him is by putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way home. But here's the thing. Uh, in the New Testament, we are taught that Jesus is not only the way home to God, but that he is home itself. In our New Testament reading this morning that Bev uh, read for us from John chapter 1, verse 14, uh, we read some extraordinary words. You might want to turn to uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, verse 14. Chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, the verb dwelt there that you see in the phrase, he dwelt among us, literally means 
in, in the original language of the New Testament to pitch a tent. In other words, what the Apostle John is saying here is that in Jesus, God himself has come down to earth to pitch a tent or rather to tabernacle with his people. And so Jesus is not simply the way home, but he is home itself. In the New Testament, Jesus is the tabernacle. For those who trust him, he is the place of true peace because in him you know that you have been forgiven of all your sins and you are now really, genuinely, truly at peace with God. He is the place of true security because in him you know that whatever happens in this life, you have been promised an eternal life, an eternal inheritance that can never be taken from you. He is the place of true rest for your soul because you now no longer have to do that exhausting work of trying to prove yourself to God as well as to others. You are not accepted by God on the basis of how good you are or how good you you think you are, but on the basis of Jesus' death on the cross for you. And so, friends, if you are somebody who has put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to ask you this morning, are you seeking your peace and security and rest in Jesus? Or are you still trying to find these things in other places? Uh, Do you remember Tim Chester, uh, who I quoted, who I spoke about earlier? who speaks of people who are wanderers and people who are nesters. Uh, I might finish this morning by quoting uh, from him because uh, I don't think I can put it better uh, than what he does uh, in his writing. Uh, But listen to what he says. He asks, are you a wanderer or a nester? When we find our home in Jesus, that will change our priorities. It will change your sense of home. If you are a wanderer, then by all means, harness your love of adventure for the glory of Christ. Go and make disciples of all nations. But wherever you go, be content there. Don't think contentment is just over the horizon. Don't be someone who is always going to new places or trying new things in an effort to find home. You need to enjoy Christ and serve Christ where you are now. Do you ever think, I will serve Christ when dot, dot, dot? It doesn't matter what comes next. If you're asking that question, something is wrong. You're restless for home when all along you are home in Christ. If you're a nester, then by all means, harness your love of home to make your physical home a place of welcome for Christ. Open your home to your church, to your neighbours, to the needy. But make sure your home helps your service rather than hindering it. Don't make your house a sacred place 
a castle with a, with a drawbridge, make sure Christ comes first and that your door is open. Don't be so concerned for cleanliness and tidiness that people feel uncomfortable. Don't be so concerned for a cosy little family that your family is not open to strangers. Don't be carting your children from activity to activity so that you have no time for community and mission. Make sure the home that really matters is the home that you have in Christ. Wise words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning and we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that his death and resurrection has provided a way home for us. And we thank you that he is also home. He, sorry, we thank you that he is also our home where we find true peace and true security and true rest for our souls. I thank you that he left his home of heaven uh, to come down to earth to dwell with us and that he now lives in us by his spirit. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to seek our peace and our security and our rest in him. Uh, Forgive us for the times when we have sought these things elsewhere, when all along we have these things in Christ. Help us to repent of these things and enjoy all that we have in Christ as our true home. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.